This is the Horse Radio Network. I'm Glenda Geek in Ocala, Florida. And I'm Wendy Ying from Sarasota, Florida. And you're listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for March 5th, 2020. This episode is brought to you by the American Driving Society. Good morning, horse world. Well, coming up on today's show, we have American Driving Society President Dan Rosenthal sharing his vision of the future of the driving in the USA, plus a couple of other things going on at the ADS. We go on an Easter egg hunt with Kathleen Hake. I've been on an Easter egg hunt in 40 years. Uh, (laughs) Katie Caldwell shares her training tips, and it's a pandemic across the world. And Dr. Wendy is here to help us solve it all. Listen in. Did I oversell that, Wendy? No, that was good. Okay, good. I I knew you were just the savior of all the world today. I love pandemic season. (laughs) I bet you all Chinese medicine doctors get busy in (laughs) pandemic season. So I have a daily Winnie to do, though. I'm going to do it without the music, though. I'm just going to give a quick daily Winnie to Jemmy, Jemmy, our producer, and her team of people uh, for helping out this week because I am magically in two places at once this morning. I am at PodFest getting ready for all of my talks and things at the podcasting conference in Orlando. And uh, magically, I'm here too. So, and, and actually, her team has been a big help this week because I've been out most of the week in Orlando trying not to get sick. And uh, her team has been helping out and doing a great job. So I wanted to thank her uh for for really for going the extra mile because her and her entire team are coming to podfest too so uh before they left they're helping horse radio network get our work out so jennifer and i both are very happy about that so thank thank you you're all going to podfest everybody's going to be there there's uh like two thousand coming this year no hugging or kissing no hugging or kissing they're going to have little red dots you can put on your name tag which means you don't want any physical contact at all which includes shaking hands Oh, I want to. I want one of those. I'm putting one in each corner and three down the middle. So, <laughs> like an X. I'm going to make an X out of them, <laughs> right across my name. Uh, I'm going to put some of my cowboy hat too. You know how you have red ribbons in the back of your cowboy yeah, hat? Yeah, that's Which what means, I was just thinking. <laughs> maybe I should do that. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> well, what is our pro- product feature of the month? Well, since it's pandemic season, I thought we'd feature Jade Screen 8. Jade, Jade Screen, Screen 8. 8 sounds like a bad B movie made in China. No, but like your Jade Screen is like it's like your defense system, okay? okay? So this formula um, is a old formula that's used to boost the immune immune system. But back when SARS broke out, they used this a lot and there's a lot of evidence-based research that the um, ingredients in here, uh, the extracts from these plants help boost your immune system by bumping up your white blood cells and, 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 uh, increasing your defenses. And we're going to talk more about that in the TCVM segment. And I have a gear just for you, Glenn, because it's kind of renaissance talking about, um, like storming the castle, and oh, the night's fighting. Well, I decided that when I go to PodFest this week, I'm going to bring my suit of armor along, and I'm yeah. going to put the helmet on with the little mask over it. 
What do you think? I think that's a great idea. I, I, I don't think anybody would notice. Do you? <laughs> no, I think you should do that. <laughs> Actually, they would kind of expect that of me at the uh, podcast. <laughs> so I put my cowboy hat on top of the medieval helmet. Look, it'll be a look, Wendy. It'll be a look. There will be a look. Oh, but I forgot to, I, I got sidetracked. Okay. Okay. So J's Green 8 is a formula. It's the same formula we use in people and in pets and in horses. And so, um, it just made me think about it, the pandemic season, but this is also the time with your horses when you're traveling a lot, you're taking mm-hmm. young babies to shows and people from all over the country are congregating in Florida, right? And you're under stress, your immune system's down. So this is great to help, um, prevent you getting the flu. It's kind of like, uh, in addition to what you take with like vitamin C, right? So it's a, a preventative measure. So where can you find it again? You can go to drwendyying.com in the upper right-hand corner. Just type in Jade Screen 8. Very good. Well, now we're going to go for, for our Carriages 101 segment. Well, for our Carriages 101 segment, Kathleen Hake joins us to tell us all about the Colorado Driving Society's Spring Easter Egg Hunt. Welcome back, Kathleen. Thank you. It's great to be back with you. And as we supposedly roll into spring, we're going to get started <laughs> with some fun activities that are taking place outside. I see what and you did there, roll into spring. <laughs> uh, it is important to remember that although we do take our traditional driving fairly seriously, driving in and of itself is a lot of fun. And the Colorado... Um, driving society may be the cause of some egg shortages in their area, which is Arvada, Colorado. They use real hard-boiled eggs, all (laughs) hand-colored, for their Easter egg hunt. I I admire their dedication to their their cause. They they hard-boil a lot of eggs. And in the morning, they get together the morning before, uh, Saturday morning before Easter, and they decorate their carriages and hide all the Easter eggs out in a big field. And then they have potluck lunch and, and do some fellowship, but, you know, talk driving, etc. And then they get to do the parade around the ring and around the grounds in their <laughs> Easter finest. And someone gets uh, elected to be the best bonnet or hat and the best turnout. It's not oh. about being fancy. It's about your flowers and, and just looking very spring. And then it gets a little serious. They all line up at the starting line, place their baskets next to the cone, and they're off when the whistle blows. And one helper gets to go out with them. They go out to the field. They find a hard-boiled egg. They send their helper out to get it, usually a little one. And they grab an egg, and they safely race back to their Easter basket and put their egg in their basket. And then they're, <laughs> they, in some cases, they pick up a different little one to, to help them with their Easter egg gathering. And then they're back out looking for their next one. And they have an absolute blast doing this. So they don't bring their time. basket with them. They It's like a relay. They're going out and back. It is. It is like a relay. And um, the Easter, the cones are next to their Easter baskets and they act as a start finish. So for about 30 to 40 minutes, they go out and they are finding eggs, which again, gives you an idea of how committed these people are to hard boiling their eggs. There's a lot of eggs out there. 
And then they, um, the, blow, the judge will blow a whistle and you can pick up as many eggs at that point as you can. You don't have to just pick up one. You can pick up two or three or four or five if you're lucky. And then you can take them back. When the whistle blows the last time, you have to take your basket of eggs up for counting. And at that point, they award the best egg finder and the locator of special eggs. Because if you find the special eggs, you may get a special prize. And all in all, it is great fun. There is all ages involved in all driving abilities. It's a great opportunity to get out there with your kids and grandkids and, and just have a blast. I have seen, I've not been fortunate enough to go out myself, but I have seen the pictures and there is no sad faces. Everybody is smiling and having a good time. <laughs> and the that horses, really fun. they all have, are sporting bunny ears and oh. they are cuter. <laughs> it's so cute. All these little bunny ears on these horses. So, I don't see how they find those eggs from the carriage. You know, she says that that's not a big problem for them. And I'm assuming that they dye them bright colors. Mm-hmm. Um, but they did choose to use the natural ones because if they can't find them, uh, the local wildlife will enjoy them. Oh, that's um, true. Whereas the plastic ones, which those are the special eggs, is the plastic ones. And oh, they know how many are out there. Um, yeah. But it, it cuts down on cleanup so that if you you know, have 10 dozen eggs out there, you're not looking for the one that nobody found. Uh Oh my God. That's a lot of work. This, this, this event takes a lot to put on. It seems like. Well, you would think that, but they, the club is very involved and a lot of families contribute. So there's no one person boiling, hard boiling a lot of eggs. And so the community comes together, does that. And then as far as like, dispersing the eggs you know we just wander around and we chat while we drop eggs i think is what happens and and they have they have a crew that that's their job and they seem to have an equally good time with Mm -hmm. that and laughing about whether who's going to find that egg and and that type of thing so um great I, i think that they have a lot of fun doing it and this is their spring um their first outside drive of the spring they do inside um drives throughout the year but it is a good time to do a refresher if your horse has maybe been out in the pasture for a while. And I do see on Facebook right now, we're having a lot of questions pop up about getting started. And for for some reason, everybody's worried about being in an accident. Um, so I thought I would talk a little bit about some resources uh, for getting started and such uh, today, if you're interested in that. Uh, both the... American Driving Society and the Carriage Association of America um, take safety very seriously. We both have um, procedures for when an accident may be happening. And, but every accident, I shouldn't say accident, every incident has its own life and they're very unique. And the biggest thing to do is not panic. Um, Mm -hmm. Panicking is, is the wrong thing to do, but In general, we try to stay in the carriage unless it's absolutely um, essential to get out. You try to stay in the carriage. We stay calm. Um, If you're outside, or well, whether you're inside an arena or outside, you have to realize that that horse doesn't necessarily know how wide the carriage is. And so, you know, you need to, if you're trying to stop him and you're on the ground, you need to know that he may hit you with the carriage, not intending to. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. Again, we need to stay calm. (laughs) And if you are in the ring, everybody goes to the center in most cases. You follow the directions that the announcer is announcing. Um, And again, we stay calm. If if something (laughs) happens out in the... You don't scream and yell? No, no. And I have to laugh because, you know, we just had leap day. And everybody was posting pictures of horses leaping over mud puddles and, and different things. And, and one horse was leaping over the stripes in, in the lawn, you know, from where the lawnmower has gone type of thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the people in the cart, they're just laughing because they know what this horse is doing. And people are like so concerned. And I'm like, you know, when you have a horse that's fresh like that, you just kind of hang on and, and you... It's no different than when you're riding. You know you've yeah. got a fresh horse. Or a fresh, I don't know anything you know. about that at all. <laughs> no, you've never had that happen. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> but it's it's. I never a had that happen yesterday. Thing. Not at all. Oh, no. Glenn remains calm. Yeah. Glenn's good at remaining calm. I'm getting That's better. Good. I'm getting better when he does his baby bolts. I'm getting better. Jennifer said I did very well yesterday when he baby bolted. Good, so, good. Yeah. And but again, it's it's a thing of staying calm and just kind of. I hate to use the term writing it out, but it's hard to prep for everything. You just have to, you know, know how to hold on to your horse and, and do your groundwork and things because when it actually happens, you just. We were riding in our backfield, thank God, not on the road. And we were riding along the woods in the backfield, and a hawk flew down out of a tree to get an animal on the ground about four feet away from us. Uh, in the woods. So, you know, that made a commotion. Well, of course, you know, Scooter was gone, and uh, Jennifer was riding Nigel, and Nigel, I she she held on. I was impressed. Uh, but I managed to get him turned around, and, face, and then the hawk flew basically over his head. Uh, but I don't know. You know, almost any horse is going to spook at something like that. Absolutely. The, you know, I've been driving for almost 20 years. The thing that got me one time was a duck. And he came out of the uh, ditch right as I was going by, and I didn't know what it was. I just knew something was coming at my head. And, you know, again, my horse has lots of training, and, and it, you know, we, it's not like we plan for emergencies, but we plan for things uh, as much bomb proofing as we can, and we know how to drive straight. And if all else fails, you know, steady on means we keep going straight. And uh, within three, three strides, we were back together, and, and I think I was more rattled than he was. But you do have to watch out for those ducks and, and other <laughs> things that fly. Um, but so anyways, that's a little bit about safety. Um, you know, consult with your show um, managers if you're truly concerned about your safety, if you're taking a green horse to a show or something like that. And they can keep an eye on you. But in general, we just practice and and work on, you know, at the end of the day, you need to have your commands down before you go out and wander around, um, you know, at the, you can't stop a horse by just by pulling out its mouth. You know, I mean, it yeah. doesn't, that's not how it works. You want to have all your cues working together and We've you have try. that horse confidence. Yeah, I mean, you know, my horse weighs 1,200 pounds. He, I am not going to stop him um, if he decides to go, but he will stop on a voice command because right. we've put that training in. But moving on to how you get that training and those resources, there are, of course, trainers, and everybody's going to say, but there's not a driving trainer in my area. 
There are trainers that work online and you can find some of those on Facebook and there's a variety of them. I know that um, Andy Marcoux, who is one of our um, CAA proficiency evaluators, does some programs online. We also have a variety of books and things that are out there. And I know people are going to say, oh, I don't want to read them. But there are a series. (laughs) There's the Allen Photographics Guides. They do come out of England, um, but they're pretty readily available here in the U.S. that are nice starters. They're they're less than 10, in most cases, right around $10, um, $10, $12. And they're just nice books. You can take them out to the barn with you. That's in their, their starting to drive series. They have one on do's and don'ts. They have one on how to put your carriage on, to get on your horse properly. Um, I've seen a lot of questions lately on how to balance one. In general, your shafts should be level. There are always exceptions to that. Uh, but if you have a two-wheel vehicle, in general, your vehicle, your shafts are going to be straight. In general, that's going to hold true for a four-wheel vehicle, unless you're working with a marathon vehicle and your dr- line of draft may be different. Um, but if you're, you know, those type of things are the places to start. As far as the having the width between of how far apart your shafts should be, you want them to not touch your horse's side. Um, but as far you know, there's not a real guide as to how far out is too far. But yet we all know it when we see it. Um, and in general, we want the tips of the shafts to not go past the, the t- um, point of the shoulder. If you have traces that are too short for your shafts, sometimes that doesn't work out. And you may get away with it if you're going to drive just a few times a year. But if you're going to continually drive, you need to adjust those shafts so that they are in the proper place so that your horse can turn properly. Mm-hmm. That will, of course, change if you're driving a marathon vehicle or, or something that may have telescoping shafts or, or something like that. But those are things that are covered in the Starting to Drive series with the Allen Photographic Guides. Um, there are several books out there on getting started. And The Essential Guide to Carriage Driving by Robin Cuffey is one of them. And then uh, there is a book called Driving Horses. It's a little bit more mm, heavy horse oriented by Steve Bowers. But it has, if you need color to be able to understand your lines and how you hold them, he does do that. Um, Each set of lines is a different color, um, which is helpful for some people. And then on the American Driving Society website, if you need a graphic to put up in your barn so that you always remember what your carriage in your harness should look like, um, they do have that available. They have a nice little fjord that is sporting a pleasure harness. And then they also have one that is the marathon harness chart. And so I don't know whose fjord that is. Do you? I think it's the one from Gala, the old, old one. I don't know if he's still alive. Ah, well, but he, he's looking pretty darn good in this. Yeah, uh, it looks great he, in that picture. And yeah. it's so fun to do pictures on a fjord because of their color. And also, they love to stand still. Well, he's in action in both of these. One, he's in a dressage ring, I'm pretty sure. And the other, he is out in a field. Oh, really? Uh, he is. Yeah, there's flowers in the background. Um, and it shows how your britching should look. Things like that. There are books on, you know, of course, on this. The other thing that uh, is out there is there is a guide to getting started for your 
size of your carriage. Um, we have it. The ADS has it. It's um, been around for a long time. Um, I think the gentleman's name is Canton, who created it. The mm-hmm. thing to know about that is it was created a while ago, and it is designed to be a guide. Um, we actually have it in our Drive Smart, Drive Safely booklet, which is which is only four dollars if anybody happens to need it. But the idea behind this is to give you a starting place. Now, people are like, oh, I, I bought exactly what it said, and that didn't fit my horse. Every horse is a little different. I mean, right. even when you're talking about fjords, there's a, you know, almost an eight-inch difference between what is the lowest part of their acceptable stand, height standard and the tallest, um, or, you know, however you want to look at that. <clears throat> and right. the same thing is in length. A fjord is not going to need the same length carriage as a, you know, maybe a warm blood Um so you have to take in consider you have to look at those guidelines and use them as a guideline and say okay you know my horse is maybe a little longer than this or my horse happens to really have some extension to the back i i personally drive off the track standard breads and i tend to see a lot of extension so i'm not too worried if i have an extra inch back there but mm-hmm. if you have an extra 6 inches then you might need to do something about that. In general, you're talking about 18 inches from the rear of the horse to the to the dash. Mm-hmm. Um, that again varies depending on what size vehicle or horse you're talking about. Because if you're talking about a VSE, 18 inches is a lot, a lot of space, That's and they true. don't quite need that. So <laughs> you need to to you can take almost do a, get another VSE in there. Yeah, 18 inches. Yeah. Um, so you need to, to take that with a grain of salt and, and look at what is right for your horse, but it is a great guideline. Those are, um, available for free. Um, as far as the, the actual charts are, um, it's been very widely used. So it's out there. You know, Uh, I think one thing that's really important too, is that the CAA really promotes is you always need somebody with you, even if you're driving a single. And especially like you're saying, when you're first starting out, like things can go wrong so quickly and you can't jump out of the carriage. Like when I first started driving, you know what I always used to do? I always forgot to do my overgirth on the, oh. on the near side. Yes. Right. So then I'd get in and then I would, you know, when, when I would stop, my carriage would go forward because my overgirth wasn't wasn't, wasn't hooked on the on that side because that's the last thing I was I would do, but because I was a rider, I kept forgetting I had this overgirth, and I luckily had this pony that was a saint, but it could have easily gone really wrong if the carriage banged into him or something. Right, and that way, if you have another set of eyes, it helps you. But also, I mean, what if you can't get out and your horse is freaking out? Your passenger can get out and help you. And head the horse and stop a horrible situation from going to, from getting worse. Exactly. I had a mare that had been broke down in Florida and she was a nice mare, no problems whatsoever. And the first time we drove her in Pennsylvania and she hit those hills, she had to actually really, truly pull and she Mm -hmm. didn't know what to do. She started going backwards and, you know, we had to have somebody, she wasn't trying to hurt us. She wasn't spooked. She just truly didn't know what to do. And if I hadn't had somebody with me to grab a hold of her, I I would have been in a little trouble. So it is great to have somebody else with you 
a couple of tricks that I have um, been told over the years is that until I am completely finished, nothing gets tucked in. Mm-hmm. So when you um, just glance around your horse and you see something that's untucked, you know that the, the keeper is untucked. You know you're not done yet or, mm-hmm. or you were thinking you were going to come and adjust it. And then the other thing is you do one walk around before you unhook, uh, before you get into the carriage. And, um, you know, you really have four, th- three, three or four spots on each side that you look at. You make sure your um, traces are hooked, your breeching right. is, is hooked, your belly band is hooked, and your lines are hooked. Yeah. Um, oh, that's important. Yes. And, and that's the <laughs> other thing is that, um, and this one will get you in trouble with the, the uh, horse show people, if you take your bridle off before you oh, take yeah, your carriage off. And there is very good reasons for that. It, it is It creates a very big safety hazard. So we never, ever take the bridle off or the, disconnect the lines until after the vehicle has been disconnected. And everybody is out of the vehicle. The I know this is going is really long, person. but I, I have to tell you a super funny story. Go for it. Do you, you know Bob Cook? Yes. Bob and Susie Cook. He tells this story that's so funny, and I'm not going to do it justice. But this is when they lived up in Maryland back at their old farm. He had a pair, and he was waiting for Susie to come out and help him. And you know how sometimes with a pair, you only put one side on, and then when you hook the two horses, you put the inside reins on, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well... He forgot and he left the inside reins clipped to his turrets and he got in the carriage and only had the outside rein on each horse and he was waiting for Susie and then all of a sudden the horses took off and like ran down his driveway and he couldn't turn and he couldn't stop and Susie was swearing. She's like, why didn't you wait for me? What are you doing? Blah, blah, blah. She was like yelling at him for not waiting, but he really had the, didn't have the reins attached. So he was just at their mercy and he was just lucky that when he got down to the road, they decided to stop and went back. <laughs> and and that is one of those things where training, you know, you're, you're just hopeful that um, your training kicks in and everybody keeps you safe. Yeah. But, uh, or, and this guy, or you're not in the know, other lane and there's years. a car coming, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that whole thing. Yeah. But, um, you know, again, we try very hard to make sure that we're as safe as we possibly can be and uh, to make sure that everything goes well. And we do, that's one thing about carriage drivers. When you, you get together with riding people in general, we don't talk about accidents a lot. You know, we don't talk about the time that you fell off in driving. We tend to talk about them, that those type of things. And it's not because we're concerned that everybody's going to get in an accident or something. There's a learning, something you can learn from every one of these. Mm-hmm. And we want to share that. We don't mean to scare you. Proportionately, we don't have that many accidents, but it, we just seem to talk about them a lot. Uh, and it's, it's because we want you to learn from them. And so um, don't well, be afraid to drive. <laughs> we have run out of time. This is all good yes. information, though. Uh, you know, it, it is. I, all of it's important. And, and the biggest thing that people have, and I know because I did, I don't know. I didn't know how to hook the harness up. You know, when you when you mm-hmm. have no help and you're just getting started, you know, and Wendy came up and I'm like, does a cart need to be level? And then every cart's a little different. And it's all important stuff. It is. And I'll post some um, information on the CAA Facebook page. Um, 
uh, the day that this post. And I will also have some information on caaonline.com about how to find a good two-wheel vehicle for your horse. Very good. Thank you, Kathleen. Thank you. And now our own Dr. Wendy Ying speaks with Roger from Greenflower Botanicals in a series we call CBD Oil 101. Well, in our continuing series about CBD oil, we're going to discuss how to use CBD oil to treat some chronic inflammatory diseases like EPM, Lyme, and fibromyalgia. Roger, how can CBD oil help us with these problems? Well, again, um, Wendy, uh, CBD, again, probably one of its big claims to fame is its anti-inflammatory properties uh, Mm -hmm. and anti-anxiety properties. A lot of people know about that. So it can be very effective for the type of issues that you're talking about. But also along with that, some people don't really recognize that um, CBD or cannabidiol, as it's actually the long-term name, long-form name, is a neuroprotectant. And so it works uh, with the central nervous system. Uh, in the limbic and limbic and paralimbic system in the brain and can be used and it can be highly successful for all kinds of neurodegenerative uh, conditions as well. Yeah, like the uh, fibromyalgia in people and Lyme disease and EPM, that's all we think about those as neuro diseases, but also it's an inflammation of the nerves that's causing them to malfunction. So... Mm-hmm. We need something more than just pain relief, and CBD oil can help with, like you're saying, to protect the nerves and cause them to be less, uh, to fire less aggressively. Yeah, I mean, actually, you know, you're getting, you know, attacking it from several several vantage points there. But, you know, the interesting thing is that all those things that you're mentioning can really take people for a loop, can be very difficult for them to find some kind of solution. So one of the things I would just say is, hey, it's really worth a try because we're seeing some incredible results out there with the kinds of things that you're mentioning. And if you're struggling and you can't find anything and everything you're trying is not working, do yourself a favor and get a hold of some CBD oil because uh, it, it really could be a game changer for you. Well, that's great. And how can people find out more about Greenflower Botanical products? Sure. You just go to greenflowerbotanicals.com uh, and all of our products are listed there on our website and a whole wealth of information as well and research to learn more about these things. And, and also make sure if you choose to try some of the products to use uh, a special coupon code we have for HRN listeners. Just use coupon code HRN and that'll get you 20% off your first order with us. If you show your horses, please check with your federation on the legal use of CBD oil. Well, as all of you know that have been longtime listeners to the driving episode, the ADS, the American Driving Society, has been a sponsor and a partner with us for many, 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 many years since we started. And Dan is with us. Dan, what's your official title there, the big boss, head honcho? President. President. president okay. I knew it was something like that. Uh, so, Dan, tell us, you have a lot of things to chat about today. We're going to spend a little more time than usual because they're all kind of important. So where do you want to start? Well, I'd like to start with just very brief. First of all, it's nice to be here. Thank you for having me again. Um, and I'd like to start very briefly with two with a little commercial for two insurance programs that we have, and then talk about our recent agreement with the U.S. Equestrian Federation. 
Okay. Yeah, and I know we talked about the insurance programs before, but it's been a long time, and they're really good. They are, and I'm very excited about them, and I feel really strongly about them. One of them is new and one isn't. The one that's not new is our ongoing equine liability activities program, where our members can, for $25 a year, 45 for a family, buy a $1 million policy, which covers all of their equine activities, not just those through the USCF or the ADS, in fact, um, but any equine activity that they do that's not professional. So it doesn't cover teaching. It doesn't cover professional driving for people, but it does cover you when you and your horse are out and about either riding, walking, or being driven. And it covers the many, many things that could go wrong. Um, and so if I'm out, if year, I'm out driving my pony in the neighborhood and I run through the neighbor's yard and take out her expensive bushes, uh, it covers that. Yes. Okay. <laughs> That's the sort of thing. I'm not saying that for. happened. That's I'm not case. saying that happened at all. But, sure. Yeah. But stuff like, or maybe a mailbox. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, That's almost happened many times. Interesting things. <laughs> Um, one case that we heard about was a, a person walking their horse by a car and a bunch of dogs in the car started barking insanely and the dog kicked the, the horse kicked the car. Oh, well, I, I could see it that was happening. covered. Yeah. Sometimes people get bitten by horses or kicked by horses. They're covered. Um, the way I look at it is it's all about defense. It covers your defense costs, which is m- the most important thing, um, as well as any of your liability. And so I really encourage everybody to look at it um, and to sign up for it. How much was it again? The other one is brand new. Um, Our officials have been asking us for a long, long time to see if we could find a way to create a group professional liability policy for them. And we're really happy to say that we've done that. And what we have is a $1 million pool that our officials can buy into for the cost of 80 bucks a year they will be covered for errors and emissions when they're acting as professional officials at ADS events of any kind. Um, so I also encourage them to do that. That's absolutely brand new. If you're an official and you're hearing this, it's in your email. Uh, it went out a couple of days ago. It is also an annual thing, and so you need to do it as soon as possible since it starts in March. The later you wait, the less of a year you get for your 80 bucks. Yeah, both of those are very affordable. Yeah. They really are. They're amazingly inexpensive. And um, having seen what (laughs) those kinds of events can cost in terms of legal fees and other costs, um, you just can't go wrong. Um, So the the, the third thing I really wanted to talk about, which is probably the most important, uh, this is something that I started working on last fall with uh, Sonia Keating, who is the general counsel of the U.S. Equestrian Federation. Um, And we, about two weeks ago, signed an agreement with the USEF. Uh, It's important to say that it's not a partnership, it's not us being the affiliate again, um, but it is a huge, I believe, step forward in having our two organizations work together to make our sport better and to make our sport grow. Um, The ADS, as we talked about, I think the last time I was here, has just released a new suite, for lack of a better term, of dressage tests. There are 16 of those tests. 
Um, and they take a horse and a driver from training level all the way through a intermediate. They're suitable for 80 meter rings, 100 meter rings, as well as for arena trials. At any rate, we have these tests and we had decided when we launched the new test that we would retire all of the existing ADS dressage tests on July 1st. So the USEF in the person of their general counsel approached me in the fall and said, oh my, we just realized that we will no longer have access to the ADS's dressage tests. And we don't know what to do about that. So we talked for a long time and we have reached an agreement with the USEF where they are going to license our dressage tests, which gives them the right to use those tests at any of their competitions for as long as the license exists. It's my hope that that license will be there forever. Um, the agreement acknowledges that we own the tests, that there are property and that the USEF and its competitors and competitions are only using them with our permission. Uh, that was important to us just because we worked really hard on them. and uh, We spent a lot of money developing them and a lot of time developing them. And it's nice to be recognized. I felt very strongly that there were a couple of things that the USEF needed to do to clarify its relationship with the, U with the ADS since we're no longer the affiliate and that those two things could have a really big impact on our drivers and our competitors, our members, our organizers, and our officials. And so we agreed as part of this agreement that they would do those two things. Um, the first of those is that the USEF will no longer require that all classes and divisions at driving competitions be held under the USEF sanction. What that means is we can go back to having combined events. Uh, you can have ADS classes and ADS divisions within a USEF show which I think is a very big step and it will take a lot of confusion and stress out of the system for our drivers. Um, the second one is more of a technical issue, but it's equally important for our organizers and our officials and for our senior drivers. There is a rule in the FEI general regulations that states that if you are an FEI official or competitor and you compete at an unsanctioned event, you may not compete at an FEI event for six months. It's an old rule. It came from a time when you, when the FEI was trying to deal with an independent show jumping organization in Europe that was competing with it. Nevertheless, it's still there. And so when we stopped being the affiliate, that very naturally raised the question, are these unsanctioned events? As it turns out, ADS events are not unsanctioned events unless the USEF takes exception to them, which they never have and have assured me repeatedly they never would. Nevertheless, as part of this agreement, the USEF has agreed to make a formal statement that ADS events are not, this is a double negative, are not unsanctioned. They can't actually say they're sanctioned because to be sanctioned, we have to be the affiliate, but we're not unsanctioned. And what does that mean? That means that a European competitor or a European judge 
or an American competitor who is an FBI level competitor or an FBI official can freely compete or participate in any ADS or joint ADS USCF event. That's really big uh, because it takes a lot of pressure off of the shows because they can use FBI officials from the United States or FBI officials from Europe. And it takes a lot of questions for the competitors out. What happens if I go to an ADS event? Can I get in trouble for that? And the answer to all of that is no, you can't. Um, so we were thrilled to make this deal with Yusef. Um, I certainly was. And the board voted unanimously to approve it. So I think they were too. Um, I think it's great for the sport. It's great for our competitors, our organizers, uh, and our officials. And I think it's a really good sign that regardless of the differences that we had last year and a few years ago, the USEF and the ADS are able to work together and to reach agreements that are good for driving. I think, it, I think you know, the most important thing is it just avoids a lot of confusion. I mean, <laughs> to, that, you know, it, yeah, it's going to solve some of the confusion issue that's been hanging around. Oh, absolutely. Because, yeah. I, you know, I get calls. What is this show? Is this an ADS show? Yeah. Is it a Yusuf show? Is it partially? The answer is still going to be you need to look at the omnibus entry. But the good news is if you're an AD, if you don't want to compete Yusuf, you can compete ADS. And if you don't want to, you know, and, and you can still have Yusuf shows. Um, I think what it will do is it will dramatically increase the number of competitions that they're able to offer USEF level advanced drivers uh, classes that qualify for USEF recognition and USEF points and for being on the team. And that's a real big deal for those people. Yeah. While at the same time, we certainly don't need less lower level drivers. So, <laughs> Sorry. We certainly don't need less. That's for sure. In this country. We do not. Yeah. We do not. It's very, very distressing to me that we have fewer competitions now than we did. You know, when I started driving 12 years ago, there were six in the New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Maryland area that I could go to without taking my ponies more than three or four hours. This year, there are two. That's really upsetting um, for someone who likes to compete. And, you know, um, I've started tracking the number of competitors. Uh, we've built a little database where we now have information about who's competing, where they're competing, what level they're competing at. Um, I can, for example, tell you that in combined driving last year, there were 1,230 entries. I hope that this year there are 1,400 entries or even more than that. Our attendance is terrific so far. It's early in the year, uh, but it's really been terrific. And I'm, you know, I, my thought is that the new dressage tests and this new spirit of open shows and cooperation will really uh, get us to a place where there's a lot more competitions and a lot more opportunity for people to compete. Well, congratulations on the hard work there. I know you've been working on this forever. I want to move on to the last thing, though, because it's about ponies. Uh, and I'm a pony. Oh, don't we? I love ponies. Yeah. So tell me about the pony thing. 
as a person who owns six ponies, pony measuring is really a big deal. Um, so the we put out our, uh, a rule proposal last year that we have a pony measurement program. It was the most commented upon rule proposal in years and overwhelmingly favorable from officials, from organizers, and from competitors. So the ADS now has a pony measurement program. Under the pony measurement program, you need to get your pony measured and have a measurement card with you when you show up at a competition. Um, I ex- after June 30th, I expect that organizers will start asking you to mail it in rather than just show up with it. But for right now, I'm just going to say show up with it. So what do I do? Do I you go to the to DMV and bring my pony in and say measure me? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> if the DMV happens to have someone working there who's an ADS official or a USEF or FEI measurer, that'll work just fine. Okay, good. Yeah. If if not, it's a problem. <laughs> uh, the measurement has to be taken by a an ADS measurer. We have about 50 people right now who we have trained and qualified as measurers who are giving measuring parties, as I like to call them, all over the country. Um, you can be measured by your vet. And you can be measured by a USEF or FEI uh, credentialed measurer. Oh, so your vet what can do I it. Did that's was, good to know. All right, that's good. Yeah. yeah, your vet can do it. And so that's what I did. When I had my vet in to measure my six, to uh, do Coggins tests on my six ponies, which I have to have every year so I can compete, uh, there are states that don't require it, but New Jersey does. She came in, she had her measuring stick, which actually has her name engraved on it. Apparently, Yousef had a program a few years ago where you got your name on your measuring stick. And we had a wonderful time. We measured them all. Um, I was a little surprised at some of the heights, but not hugely. My ponies are all between about 12 and 12.2, so um, they're just pony ponies. This is really important for people who have minis, particularly who are on the large size, or who have small ponies. Um, who want to be able to compete under small pony rules. And then, of course, at the the northern end of the scale, people who have um, really big ponies. The 14 one-and-a-half ponies. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, what what my wife calls honies. (laughs) They're not quite a horse. They're not quite a pony. Right, 14. Those people have to get measured because sometimes – Someone will come up to you and say, hey, are you sure that's a pony? And it's really nice to be able to hand them your card and say, yeah, I'm sure. Mm. They need to be measured (laughs) annually starting when they compete. When they turn eight, they no longer need to be measured. After that, they get a permanent card. Oh, cool. Um, We hope that it's not too intrusive on people to get this done. Um, If your pony, you need to put some kind of identifying information on your card, either by attaching a photo Coggins or if your pony, mine are all microchipped. So I just put the microchip number on my pony's card and that's good enough Okay. because after all that identifies my pony with certainty. So it's a big deal. We're working hard to get it done. There are uh, copies of the cards and copies of the FAQs on how to get it done on our website. Uh, maintaining your card is your job. You don't send it into the ADS. We don't keep track of the ponies. You do. And then you use it when you we're go not, to shows. That, that's when the show is going to ask for it. Okay. 
Right. The show will ask for it because after July 1st or June 30th, the shows are required to ask for it. We have pretty strong commitments from all of our competitions that if someone is to show up this year without their card, there will be someone there who can measure them. Okay. Well, you know, this is good. We're not trying to create This is good for those people who, you know, had those small horses who said, oh, it's a pony. Uh, So, yeah, Yeah. I think this. Not that we know anybody like that. Um, Actually, you know, I I know people the other way. I know people who were competing as horses, and they finally got around to measuring them and found out they were ponies. Oh, there you go. Are they allowed to compete if they're a pony as a horse the other way? Is that allowed to? Yes. Okay. You know, it, it doesn't say in the rules anything specific about this, but you can compete up. So if I wanted to take my 12-hand ponies and compete with the horses, there's nothing to stop me. I would just have to go at horse speeds. Mm, that would stop you. Dan, is this going to apply to... Is it, are you going to apply this to the pleasure driving shows, too? Yep. ADS is ADS. I think, I think in the ADS rules, there's something like about certain breeds, like Morgans and Arabs and quarter horses no matter what they measure, can compete as horses. Yes, in the pleasure rules. And yeah. minis, in some cases, minis can compete as ponies if they want, or even as horses. There was a very interesting case out on the West Coast where a brother and his sister were competing with a mini, and she competed the mini as a mini, and he competed the mini as a horse. <laughs> but with I, the I, measurement I, rules, I, that's a good way to stop that kind of thing. It's a little odd to compete a mini as a horse, but I guess it depends on the class. There might be there might be pleasure classes where it wouldn't matter a whole lot. Yeah, I would think that that would be a little odd. Uh, but you <laughs> certainly wouldn't want to do it on a marathon in a, in a combined driving class. Right. Well, very good. It's American so driving. My horse is- AmericanDrivingSociety.org is the website. That's where you can find all the information. If you aren't a member, you can go there to become a member as well. And, Dan, we really appreciate you stopping by and uh, for you guys doing all the hard work to make things run smoother and be a little less confusing. Well, thank you very much for having me and for letting me uh, do my commercials for our programs and for our new agreement. Uh, It's always good to be on your show. Well, now it's time for the Tremont training tip, and Kitty Cadwell is here to join us. Welcome, Kitty. Hi, Wendy. Hi, Glenn. So what do you have for us this month, Kitty? Well, I was thinking since actually Live Oak starts Wednesday that maybe we could talk a little bit about this super great show that Live Oak is going to be and all the amazing national championships they're going to be awarded and that they have gone to this new thing to try where before marathon you do a controlled warm-up instead of driving an A section and a walk. Oh, yeah. Let's talk about that. First of all, yeah, let's I talk saw about that, Live and Oak. I was surprised that the A section is gone. And for those that don't know what that means, that's the long kind of roads and tracks that, that it was called in eventing before you started into the obstacles. So as the sport progresses, right? It, we're having a harder time finding land, a uh, harder time finding volunteers, and this is just a way that the sport's trying to evolve with the nature of today. And so what they've done is instead of doing the six-kilometer A section and the one-kilometer walk or the 
you know, we don't do those kilometers anymore. They're going to have what's called a controlled warm-up. So you're allowed into the warm-up area, which is a large arena, before you're essentially the same distance of time you would have before the vet check, before you start the B section, so that's the hazards of the marathon. So you're allowed in there 20, 30 minutes, whatever they deem, to get your horses warmed up and ready to go. So it falls on you to get the horses warmed up properly for the hazards. So it's not like a, it's not a track that you're driving. You go, you have time in the arena. Yes, you have time in the arena. And it doesn't mean that you can't take your horses out for a 20 minute walk before you get in that arena. You Mm -hmm. can do that too, which is always good for them, but they do provide you with um, a hazard so you can get warmed up on a hazard. Oh, that's good. And then you good. can trot around and canter around as much as you want, whatever you feel that is necessary for your horses. And do they require you to go in there at a certain time? Yes, they do. They will, put, they will give you the amount of time that if, say, if it was six kilometers and it was going to be 28 minutes, they would mm-hmm. give you that 28 minutes prior to your start time. But what it does, too, it it puts the responsibility on the driver Mm -hmm. to know your horse and how much your horse needs to warm up. Right. But it also relieves the organizer of, first of all, putting up a seven-kilometer course and then having the volunteers to run it. Yeah, no one likes to sit at the walk section and be the walk volunteer. Yes. So it's not, it's just evolution of our sport, Mm-hmm. It's a way that we can all keep going as we start losing land to do a sport that, I mean, Wendy remembers the days when we used to go 25 kilometers Yeah. on our sections. Well, now, and I, but, I mean, I really like that long, I like the beginning roads and tracks, but I know that, that we don't have the land to do that anymore. And, but, you know, the, they do have the land to do it. So is this a volunteer issue at Live Oak? So I don't think volunteers, they have volunteers, they do have the land. They have had a lot of rain. It has been very wet. And I think what they're trying to think is that this is where the sport may be heading, mm-hmm. is the shorter, the shorter distances. So to keep up with the sport, let's give it a try. Let's get people used to it because people are going to be faced with this. I think at, at many other shows. Well, the Avengers, well, I think the example, the Avengers did it years ago, right? I mean, I think the perfect know. example of this, though, is like, look at what happened at WEG. It was super hot and humid, and it was really hilly because we were in the mountains, and they were they had to go on that track. So then the horses were kind of tired when they started on the marathon section. Right, and nobody wants to see a tired horse in a hazard. No. The, the place, people are not standing out around on the walk section watching us, right? They're right. watching us in the hazards. Yeah. You know, another thing, too, is that Live Oak every year, I always there was always one horse that came down from the north, uh, you know, maybe pony type, that it, they just don't get fit as quickly as light type horses, and maybe they come in they come all that way and they come into the vet check and they get spun because they had to pull a heavy carriage through mud if they had rain and they you know they this way they can warm up in something that they deem appropriate yes because it's very early in the season this is our first big premiere show but like you said the northern people haven't had 
the ability to get their horses fit enough. So then it just, it falls more on the drivers, I feel. I mean, I loved going 25 kilometers, but this is keeping up with the sport, I think. And we all know Live Oak is our best show of the season. Right. And it's not like, like you said, you could go for a long walk and trot if you wanted to. There's plenty of room to do that. You don't, but if, if you don't, if you don't want to, you don't have to. Right. It just becomes your responsibility then and you knowing your animal better than anybody else. Mm-hmm. I think that's a great idea. Well, we'll see how it works. I know Grand Oaks did it and they are starting, they have done it at shows in Europe. So, you know, we just have to keep up with the times and yeah. people will always be uncomfortable with change. That's just the way it is. Well, yeah. I think, I think so this we was all just a matter have to of time, keep... right? I mean, this was a matter of time. Yeah. Yeah. But I think, I think you know, we have so many shows that are driving trials where there's just an E section and you see people just hitch up and go. Right? And then one K they're gonna be at their first marathon. And you like yeah. kinda of wanna say, Hey, you should go warm up first. You know? But that's why we need to talk about it and say, Okay, now it's your responsibility. So here's what you need to do to get warmed up, not just right. run out of the barn into the hazards, right. but that you say, okay, I walk, I trot, I can, or I get my horse loose both directions, yeah. and you're, you get them physically ready to go yeah. and mentally. Yeah, true. Because as Wendy and I both know, oh, probably Glenn's pony too. If you were to just walk out of the barn and go do the hazards, it m- might be a little crazy. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah. Glenn would be killed. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't even make it to the. You'd make it through A and maybe B, and then you'd go off somewhere. Yep, that's true. All true. You'd, All of that is true. <laughs> these horses need to blow off some energy and get ready so they can do the hazards. Just send them into the hazards. So yeah, it could be it could be hard if you just left the barn and went right into the hazards. Yeah, make it hard on yourself. <laughs> Remember that, Glenn, okay, for next I'll remember time. remember that. <laughs> for the days I get to do CDEs. Give yourself yeah. proper warm-up, Glenn. Yeah, that, that's never happening, so we don't have to worry about that at all. <laughs> okay, so so if people see people warming up right before marathon, that's what they're doing. But we have to talk about our most fabulous show of the year, Live Oak. I know. It, it is our premier show of the year. We, mm-hmm. we have to give it to him. Chester and his sister run a fantastic show. And it is the national championships for much of the driving community this year. What, whose national championship is it for? So the foreign hands, the pairs, the ponies. So everybody. It, they're going to be national champions galore after this weekend. Um, that's exciting. And then they Very also have exciting. show jumping too, right? Yes. The best of the best. It's nice. I love that we have a driving show that other disciplines are at. Mm-hmm. We found that in Europe, we found that exciting, and it was nice to be around other athletes, and yeah. it, it's nice to have it. It, it makes it a more atmosphere at the show. Yeah. I think also, uh, to me, Live Oak, is the, there's so much land. It's so expansive, and it's fun to be at because of that, but also... Being in Ocala at this time of year, it has so many spectators. I mean, I think they usually have 5,000 people out there on Saturday. Well, they're going to have 10 this year because the Budweiser Clydesdales are coming again. Oh, that's Oh, so yes, fun. they are. Yeah. 
So it's going to be a 10,000 this year. And it always happens the same weekend that I have my podcasting conference. Every time. I know. <sighs> well, another thing I like about it is that a marathon hazards are so giant. Like, and so impressive. I love the gulch, which is this, like, kind of dry riverbed with a giant bridge over the top. And it's just so exciting to watch. And the water with the big drawbridge on the water. And the fact that everything is right within a circle, essentially. So you could pick one driver and go to every hazard and watch them all the way around the course. Yeah. And uh, they still do the tailgating, right? Oh, tailgating is massive there. So, so people set up these little tailgates. Not, and I shouldn't say little; they're massive. These tent, huge tents and tailgates at the hazards, and so it's a real party atmosphere. I think there's even a competition for the tailgaters. Oh, there should be. There should yes. be. We should have tailgating at every show. I know. Wouldn't that be fun? Yes. <laughs> but it's Live Oak. We all have to look forward to Live Oak. It's our, I know. you know, like, oh, we're all getting ready for Live Oak. And it's all thanks to our fabulous multi-national champion, Chester Weber. I think he, and like you said, he and his sister do such a great job and really just have elevated our driving shows. Well, they're essentially inviting us into their home and then supplying us with top-notch, world-class judges, a mm-hmm. world-class venue. You know, we can even get cotton candy if we want it. Oh, that's true. And it's a couple shop- minutes from my house. <laughs> oh, there you go. Yes, but you're busy. I know. Every time Jennifer's going, though, Jennifer's going to go over. <laughs> oh, so okay. when this show we'll goes out, her. this show's out go- going out on Thursday, Thursday. morning. So the, Tomorrow so you'll- and Saturday. You can get there. Sunday, too. Right. Tomorrow, Saturday, and Sunday. So dressage is on Friday. Yeah, and marathon is on Saturday. That's a fun time. And it also will be streaming on the USEF feed. So you can watch it. Oh, I saw that. Yeah. All right, very very good. Well, Kitty, thank you so much for joining us again. Are you going to be there? I will be there. Okay, I figured. I figured you would be. All right. <laughs> all right. Well, have fun there. It's liveoakinternational.com, if I remember right. I think that's the website. Uh, Live Oak International. Just Google that, and you'll find it here in Ocala. Thanks, Kitty. Bye, guys. Bye. Well, now it's time for the traditional Chinese veterinary medicine update by Dr. Wendy Ying, who happens to be a veterinarian and a master Chinese medicine guru. Is that the <laughs> official title? Yes. I, I give you a different name every time. You, you, That's what you have should Have you noticed that? Yeah. yeah. I'm well, okay with that. My ADD kicks in and then I forget. <laughs> so uh, we're talking about right now something that everybody in the world is talking about, and that's pandemics. But this time, are we talking about the coronavirus? No, we're talking about the immune system. Oh, okay. All right. Because the coronavirus, while it is scary, right, uh, we don't have a vaccine for the coronavirus. and so the, it's preventative medicine. 
So there's lots of things you can do for preventative medicine, like wash your hands and don't go to, you know, uh, congregate. But who's going to really do that? Like this, and I'm a vet. I'm not giving human advice, right? I'm giving vet advice. So like in our horses. So I shouldn't let Scooter congregate at a conference? Well, if... If you were, this is a big time where horses from all over the country are congregating in Florida. And what about, you know, I'm not just being a bitch by not letting your horse kiss my horse on the nose when we're (laughs) fox hunting. I don't want their germs. I don't want your horses. Your horse may be nice, but I don't want his germs to touch my horse. (laughs) And that's not being mean. That is being, uh, that's preventative medicine. Okay. So, um, but one of the things that we need to think about is remember in January we talked about wellness and the body being in balance, yep. right? And so we know that stress and a poor diet can lead to your body being out of balance. Or like Glenn, in your case, we talk about quite frequently about your Lyme disease. Mm-hmm. So that attacks your immune system. So we're going to talk a little bit about the basics of the immune system so we can understand how we can strengthen it. Okay. So like I said, it's going to be a little renaissance So your immune system in Chinese medicine, when these theories evolve, remember this was like ancient times, right? Like 400 BC. So they called the immune system, the Zheng Qi. This is your like defense. And the Zi Qi, which is your evil Qi, the pathogens that are trying to get in your body. So the pathogens, the evil chi is like the Mongol horde trying to get over the wall. Okay. So you have to make your defenses strong because there's no way to stop the Mongol horde, right? Like if you want to show and compete your horse, you have to go in those temporary stalls that are gross. If you're a germ, a phobe, Right. You might ship commercially. You are around a whole bunch of horses in a, you know, stable where they're coughing and sneezing, whatever. So you need to shore up your defense system. So there's two parts of your immune system. And the first one is what you're born with, like your first line of defense, which is physical, right? Your tears, your saliva, mucus, your white blood cells that eat the invaders that come in and your skin, your skin and your mucous membranes are really important. So those are all impacted by stress and nutrition. Okay. And they also, uh, are affected by cold and dryness, right? So think about it. We don't think about that anymore because we live in Florida, but remember when you lived up in the cold North, Yeah. how your skin gets dry. Remember your nose gets all dry and cracked. Yep. And also, like, our nasal turbinates, when we breathe in cold air, it humidifies the air and warms it to keep our mucus lining on our, uh, in our upper respiratory system uh, healthy and, and, and soft and damp so that our white blood cells can uh, move around in there and get bacteria and viruses. So that's really important. That's our first line of defense. Then our second line of defense is called our adaptive immune system. And those are your, your white blood cells. Like, have you ever heard of your T cells and your B cells, Glenn? Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay, I actually so, have. 
Okay, good. So those cells are affected by, they react to pathogens and vaccines and they can produce antibodies and they also can like multiply, like imagine that a certain T cell line is like your, your sergeant. And when he says, oh my gosh, we, we have this attack by these invaders, they mobilize a whole bunch of little uh, soldiers to come help them attack the bacteria, fungi, or cancer that's attacking you. Okay, so those, uh, one of the things that's happening right now with coronaviruses, your genetics, the way it's passed on, like you have certain colonies of of cells, of B cells and T cells that know about like the flu. Okay. So, okay. You know, many generations of humans have seen the flu and when the flu comes here, my body can react to it. But this coronavirus is a new virus. It's kind of shifted. So when your body's exposed to it, it has to rebuild a whole army to to, to attack it. And it's that time that it takes to rebuild an army from getting a novel that virus. That's the time where if you're not healthy, it's going to get past that wall and it's going to get like down into your lungs and cause a, a pneumonia. Mm, okay. Okay. So, and especially like in your case, your first line of defense it's not super strong because it's always fighting this one of the th- way that we can support. So in your analogy, those, uh, the attackers are, they never stop coming over my wall. They're always, they're always chipping away at your wall yep. and your body to fight them. That takes energy, right? So if you didn't have good nutrition, like remember when you first bought scooter and he was so skinny, Mm-hmm. His body was like using everything he had to just like survive. So if he was constantly getting attacked by something that would keep draining his body, that's how stress and poor nutrition cause uh, unthriftiness. Okay. Cause you have these little spirochetes in your body that are constantly taxing your immune system. You don't feel it going on all the time, but that's why sometimes you have these ups and downs. Sometimes they're winning. Yeah, like the other night when I was in the hospital, they were winning. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes they're winning. And then you have to think to yourself, well, did I change my diet? Am I not eating enough protein? Are you run down? Because you're probably pretty busy, you know, getting ready for PodFest. So you need to make sure in the times when you're really stressed out, you have better nutrition. Or like our horses, we know that when they're on the road, we need a higher nutrition. Sometimes like our our geriatric horses, like ones with Cushing's or ones that are prone to founder, sometimes we cut back their diet so much because they'll founder if we give them too much food, but then maybe they're not getting enough protein and quality food in their diet. So they can't make the proteins they need to boost their immune system. Okay, so like you're considered, like if you were a horse in my practice, you would be a high risk animal if you were going off to show because I know you have this underlying disease. So I would recommend to my clients that they, uh, you know, do some quality nutrition. So I can't 
give advice to every situation over the phone, but you know, you can, you, you know, you need some, uh, good proteins and maybe some fresh foods. And then also I would do herbs or supplement that tonify the chi and blood so that they're at their peak performance before they go showing. Uh, when I, we talked about Jade Screen 8 earlier in the show, Jade Screen 8 is a formula that helps strengthen the immune system and it also gives the body more energy. And that's why they use that as a preventative during the SARS outbreak. So that can like, like when you, when you had your episode where you went into the hospital the other night and I said, your immune system was losing, it's, you know, you need to boost it up. So it's like twice as strong as those spirochetes. And with our horses, our geriatric horses, uh, we need to make sure they're really strong going into winter or if they're still competing, that they're strong when they're going to see a stressor. And then, um, of course, we need to do the same things with our horses that they recommend for people for prevention. So wash your hands, right? I see a lot of horses and pets every day. So I have to wash my hands in between. And if I... I'm at a farm where there may be strangles. I always change my clothes and take off my shoes, put on different shoes, you know, because I don't want to spread that to other animals. If you're in a show situation and you know, you see that some horses might be sick in your barn, that might be a time where you might want to see if you can change stalls, but also you don't want to be around, you don't want to be a fomite, okay? You don't want to be an infectious agent. And then also disinfection protocols. If you are shipping your horse commercially, you should make sure that they disinfect that trailer in between times, you know, or if you have a young horse or a horse like my horse, little Dante, he has always had a kind of weak immune system. So when he was a baby, I used to always spray down my temporary stalls with a bleach solution, like a 20% bleach solution before we moved in. And then, you know how I really love this, don't forget your blankets because horses uh, horses can do fine if they're not clipped, okay? But if they get wet and it's windy and cold, they can get really chilled and that will stress them and hurt their immune system. You know, that's extra energy drain. And I always love a reason to recommend blankets. <laughs> you do. Um, you always you always do. And I'm always going, ah, keep them naked. But even down here in Florida, it was down to 40 the other night. And Dante is clipped because yeah. he has Cushing's. Yeah, and Scooter and was clipped he's too. Old. And Jennifer had like six blankets on him. <laughs> See? Because we horse girls know. But you think he needs to spend his energy being well, not being cold. Right. You know? Yeah. So, anyways, to get off my soapbox, okay. what I want to say is <laughs> I hope that you understand some of the basics of the immune system and the things that you can do to help your horse uh, have a stronger immune system and some preventative measures that we can use to keep them disease-free. On your website, are there some things that can help fight off the invaders coming over the wall? Do you have, like, herbs that act as hot boiling oil? 
<laughs> yes, we have or cannons like, or like uh, or big or bow and arrow guns and things like that. So if if you uh, so jade screen eight is the herb I talked about earlier. That's a great herb to use if you have a horse that has some underlying condition or you know has kind of a weak immune system, and you're going to be in the like horses that have had Lyme disease in the past. Or right. Perfect example. Yeah. And they're and you're showing and they're stressed. That's a great herb that you can choose for that. Um, and then also, uh, we have an herb called yin chow san, and that's an herb that's also used in people and in dogs and cats. And it's a very early stage of the disease. So jade screen aid is used for prevention and it helps boost the immune system and boost their chi. And the yin chow san is like, like, uh, remember when, I was thinking about going on the cruise with you. Yep. Well, you gonna, I bought a ton gonna, of yin chow. You were going to drink it by the gallon. Yes, exactly. <laughs> because because I always feel like, because for me, when I even think about going on a cruise, I start to like have a mild fever, just like, you know, psychologically. But it's at the very beginning of the disease. So the, the best thing for prevention is, is jade screen eight. You know, it's also great if you're going to, um, like my dogs are farm dogs and they don't really go anywhere, but if I ever had to board my dog or they had to go to a dog park, I mean, that is like, that's like a person going on a cruise when the dogs go to like dog play day, <laughs> you know? So Jade's Green A can be a great option for that, for dogs that maybe need an immune boost. And we usually use it seasonally. You know, that's not something that you give all the time. Okay, that's that something my next you give, question. All right. Yeah, it's yeah. something you give for like maybe a couple of weeks leading up to uh, like this Florida competition season. Or you can give it like, say you have a, a horse that always seems to be the one that gets the the cold uh, in the winter time. You can start it in the fall and go throughout the winter. But you should always talk to your veterinarian about these things because uh, these these herbal supplements can boost the immune system. But uh, if if you're like what happened to you the other night, if the invaders make it over the wall, you need to get treatment and pharmaceuticals to help you with that. Very good. DrWendyYing.com is where you can find all of this, right? Right. Very good. Sounds good. And we'll put the link to that in our show notes as well. Well, that's it for this month. Thank you, Dr. Wendy, for setting up this show. We learned some things from Dan at the ADS of what's going on, maybe make things a little simpler and less confusing in the driving world. Um, and uh, like horses aren't confusing enough. I'm glad that right. uh, we're, we're coming to some agreements there. And yep. uh, Wendy is here the first Thursday of every month. And you can find all of the past episodes. Just go to horsesinthemorning.com. Scroll down to the middle of the page. You're going to see little banners for all the monthly episodes. Click on driving and it brings up all the past episodes that Wendy has done. We redesigned that page. It's very good looking now. So you're going to want to go check that out. And you can listen to all the past episodes. 
episodes going back a very long time. Or you can go to drivingradioshow.com, also has all the episodes as well. If you want to become an auditor and be part of our super exclusive club that uh, helps support the Horse Radio Network, you can go to horseradionetwork.com and click on the auditor banners for $3 a month. You get all the benefits of being an auditor as well. So that's it for today. Thank you so much for joining us, everybody. We really appreciate it. DrWendyYing.com is where you can find Wendy. Thanks, Wendy. All right. Keep the shiny side up. 